My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad to be with you this morning. It was one year ago this weekend that we were launching a capital campaign as a church with the goal to raise about $2.5 million to renovate our building. We had a large event. We walked through the building. We had a bunch of prayer stations. We had an amazing meal. We casted this vision. We started collecting money and pledges to raise money to renovate our building one year ago. Attendance had never been higher in our time as Park Community Church. We were growing financially. We were growing in attendance. We were growing in membership. We were growing in community impact and and growing and sending out, raising up and sending out missionaries. And God was doing a lot of cool things as far as numeric growth in our church family. That weekend, we looked at Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. I'm going to ask that you stand as I read it this morning. Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Lord, may you speak to us this morning. May you shape, form, refine our thinking and our living for your glory, for the good of those who we do life with in our communities, in our spheres of influence, and for the advancement of your gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, a lot has changed since we read this passage a year ago and began to ask you to make contributions to a building campaign. A lot has changed. As this passage says, this is not a prophecy about COVID-19. But there is some stuff that we can learn here. It says, God says, I will shake the nations of the earth. Have the nations of the earth, have the nations of the world been shaken in the last year? Absolutely, 100%. Have things changed? Absolutely, 100%. This, this is a prophecy about the coming Spirit of God, about Jesus, the man of God, the Messiah, the Son of God, coming and living a perfect life, dying a sacrificial death, overcoming sin and death in the grave, being raised back to heaven and giving us his Holy Spirit. And now you and I are the temple of the living God. The living God dwells in God's people. That's what this passage means and prophesies about. There's this greater date coming in the future when I will rebuild this house. It's not about a physical building. It's about a people filled with the Spirit of God. And I love how this passage says that the nations of the world shall come. The nations of the world shall come to this God and be filled with the Spirit of this God and they will pour out their silver and their gold to support Anna's ministry. Amen? Partially. They will pour out their treasures, their possessions, so that the good news of the gospel would go around the world, not so that we could build bigger churches and have greater buildings and build human kingdoms, but so that the underground kingdom of God would grow. And a year ago, that's what we preached. But we also believe that that Part of this was improving our building and changing our building and impacting our building. Well, things are different. You may have got the notice in the, 
in our Park Weekly email this week that the elder team has decided to kind of hit pause on phase one of the building campaign because we don't think it's wise to try and raise $2.5 million right now in a global pandemic. We do need to make some building changes. Some of you have given already, and so we're gonna use that money towards building changes. We'll communicate more when we have more information. But what I want, ultimately what I wanna remind us of here is that this passage predicts a greater day in the future. We're living in that greater day now when the Holy Spirit is upon his people and God is doing miraculous things. Because of COVID-19, there's a French-speaking African church using our building for worship. God has literally shaken the nations of the world to bring them together to exalt himself. Amen? And so this morning, it's not all about the capital campaign. It's not all about this passage. But what I want to do, if we could go to the next slide here, I'm pausing on the Ten Commandments series. And this morning, I just want to spend some time talking about our perspective, our pandemic perspective. A couple weeks ago, Mark preached on homesickness, our political perspective. Thank you, Pastor Mark, for bringing that good word to help shape our thinking around politics. And this morning, as I prayed and thought through this week, and then ultimately yesterday, I felt like God told me to change direction on the sermon. I was supposed to preach the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. We're going to preach that sometime very soon. It's going to be a great passage from God's word bringing sexual healing to our sexual brokenness. But this morning, I feel like God called me to pause on that and to engage our pandemic perspective. And two big words that kind of capture for me is humbled and homesick. So kind of playing off of Pastor Mark's sermon a couple weeks ago about being homesick in our political perspective, I also think we ought to be homesick in our pandemic perspective. We ought to be humbled. Here's the reality. Nearly 3,000 people have died of COVID in Minnesota since March. Nearly 250,000 in America. Nearly 1.3 million worldwide. And think what you want about the death counts. But here's the reality. Our healthcare workers are maxed out. I spent time talking with healthcare workers in our own church this last week to try and get their perspective because all of this is politicized, right? You listen to certain news channels, you hear certain things, you listen to certain political commentators, you hear certain things. You, it, it's all just so gross and politicized. And so I thought, maybe I should ask the health workers in our church who care about me as their pastor having to make decisions and they care about you as their church family. What's their perspective on this? Seven of seven of them said, we are stressed and burnt out at work. We're maxed out. The hospital beds are filled. This thing is serious. Take it seriously. Seven of seven of them recommended us closing in-person worship gatherings. We're praying through that. We're thinking through that. Your elder team is praying and thinking through that, weighing the cost. We're listening to our healthcare professionals, and we're seeking God's wisdom in that. But it's serious. It's real. This is the reality of the world that we live in. Teachers are stressed out. Just this last week, almost every teacher in our church was told that they need to get ready for virtual learning, 100% full-time. They don't want to do it. Parents are burned out. I know this firsthand because I am one, and I have a wife who's at home trying to help two kids learn virtually, and she's trying to do her own job, and we have a four-year-old running around interrupting everything. Singles and seniors are lonely. People are longing to be with family and friends. 
We're divided about the election. We're divided about race. And we're divided how to handle that pandemic. Mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical health is on the brink. And on top of all this, I think there's more restrictions coming this upcoming week, which will produce more division and more isolation. And so as I thought and prayed through all of that this week, I I feel like God was saying, you need to engage a Christian perspective for the pandemic. Engage that this morning. And so this morning, we're going to engage it. I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to look at a ton of scripture. So if you have your Bible, get it ready, get it open. I want you to see God's word, not to just hear my word. I'm going to make some commentary on God's word, but I want you to see God's word. So pull it up in your phone, be ready to flip in your paper Bible, do what you need to do, but follow along with me this morning. And what I want you to know, church family, is I'm giving you my biblical perspective on how we handle the pandemic. Different churches, different pastors will come up with different conclusions and different decisions, and that's okay. Romans 14 says that that there's this area of freedom of conscience for believers, and some churches may come to different conclusions and decisions than others. If we do it respectfully, if we do it seeking God's wisdom, if we do it biblically, we can come to different conclusions. I'm going to tell you some of my thinking so that you can understand your pastor's heart. I know what John MacArthur is doing. I know what Andy Stanley is doing. I know what John Mark Comer is doing. I know what pastors around the country are doing, and I respect many of them, and I'm trying to learn from and listen to many of them. But God has called me to shepherd and pastor Park Community Church, placed in St. Louis Park in Minnesota. And so I want you to hear my heart and my perspective through God's word on this. Some of you may not like my perspective. I would ask you to either learn how to live with it or there's plenty of churches who may line up with your perspective better. And I don't say that flippantly. Church is family. God has called me as your pastor to create the culture and the DNA of our family. We do that together, right? It's not top-down. But like Jordan said last week, sometimes people sit in the pew and they judge everything their pastor says. If that's you, I would, I would ask you to check your own heart or to, in humility, challenge me in conversation or to consider finding a new church. So that's where we're at this morning. All right, we're going to skim a ton of scripture. So be ready. Here we go. Next slide. This is a picture of the whiteboard in my office. I drew this graphic on the whiteboard in my office in March. The first, Sunday, the first Sunday that we were closed down because of COVID, I was actually in South Dakota. I had just, just preached at my father-in-law's funeral. He died as a 61-year-old from cancer, having been diagnosed with cancer in October, and he died in March preached his funeral, mourned his death, we canceled church, came back, and we did virtual church for months. And my wife and I grieved because we missed you. We wanted to be with you. We wanted to sing to Christ in our church family. We needed you for healing. And so please don't ever think that I'm willy-nilly about the gathering of the church. 
And then if we go virtual, it's because I don't care and I don't understand the spiritual, emotional, emotional, mental implications of going virtual. I do. But in spite of that, we need to consider what is God doing? What is God up to? And so I drew this graphic up in March. 2020 led to global shaking. We just read in Haggai, you can pull up that, the next uh, slide there, uh, Haggai, we just read in Haggai chapter 2 that, that God says, I will shake the world. This was, this was clouding my thinking, not clouding my thinking, I think it was clarifying my thinking in March. God's shaking the world up. This is literally a global pandemic. It's not an American discussion or opinion. This is a global pandemic. We have missionaries around the world that our church supports who have worse restrictions than us. And you know what they're doing? They're humbly submitting to those restrictions. Linnea in Guatemala, when this thing first hit, she couldn't be out of her home after 5 p.m. or the cops would force her back home. And you know what she did? She humbly submitted. So this isn't like an American opinion. This is a global pandemic. This is God shaking the world. He talked about this in Haggai. It wasn't a prophecy about COVID, but, but it's God reminding us, I can shake the world. Psalm 46. I'm not going to turn to all these passages, but you should jot them down and meditate them on your own. Psalm 46 tells us that the nations of the world are at war, that, that kingdoms are raised up and kingdoms are taken down. Proverbs 16, 1 and 9. Let's, let's look at that one. Flip over to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, verse 1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16, 9, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step. See how God can shake us up? You can make your plans, but I'll determine your steps. We prayed this verse through as we did our building campaign and said, God, we think this is the right thing. We're making plans for a building campaign. We're making plans for a building improvement. If it's not your plan, we hold it with open hands. Would you change your mind? God didn't create COVID to stop our building plans, but he used COVID for us to pause on our building plans. We plan our ways. God directs our steps. He can shake up whatever he wants to, whenever he wants to, however he wants to, for his glory, for our good, and the advancement of his gospel. Amen? Let's go to the next slide there. And in our capital campaign brochure, we had this quote from Eugene Peterson. It says, God is always doing something before we know it. So our task is not to get God to do something we think needs to be done, but become aware of what God is doing so that we can respond to it and participate and take great delight in it. That was in our campaign because even as we un unfolded this, we said, God, you're in charge. We think we know what you're doing. We have a plan, but we're walking this out with open hands. And it seems like for the moment, God is saying, just pause. You have plans. I'm directing your steps. Just pause. And so the first point here is that God has literally shaken the world. And in the shaking of the world, I believe that it's part of what God is doing here is now awakening the church. He's waking us up some, to some spiritual reality. He's refining us. He's growing us. He's hopefully chiseling off our rough edges, our non-Christ-likeness to produce in us more Christ-likeness. And then as he does that in the church, the family of God, he's also giving us personal commissions of what it looks like to live for him in this world. 
And so as I consider the global shaking that has been happening and continues to happen, and as I think about this quote from Eugene Peterson, that, that, that our job isn't to get God to do something we think he should do, but it's to figure out what is he doing and then respond to it. As I consider Proverbs 16, man plans his ways, the Lord directs his steps. I've been asking myself for months, God, what are you trying to awaken in Park Community Church? What do you have for, th- this graphic has been sitting on my whiteboard for months, just sitting there and I look at it and I think, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. Reveal it to me, reveal it to me. And I finally got some clarity on it this week. I believe God is doing five specific things in our church family through the global pandemic, through the global shaking. I believe God is awakening our church, Park Community Church, to five specific things. There's probably 5,000 things that he's doing right? God is always doing far more than we could ever imagine or identify. But as I think and pray and search the scriptures, I believe that God is saying, here's five specific things that I want you as the pastor of the church to be aware of that I'm trying to produce in you and your church. And so let's go to the next slide and I'm going to share them. Here's what I believe God is awakening in our church. Humility, homesickness, love, contentment, and our commissioning. I'm going to walk through these five. And I'll probably unpack these in greater length at another time. There's a bunch of verses attached to each one of these words, and and there's more. I worked so hard to even condense it, because I'm like, ooh, what about this verse? What about this verse? There's so many here, but I want to walk through these this morning. I believe God is doing five things in our church. I I believe that he's seeking to and, and trying to awaken in Park Community Church these five things. I believe he's trying to produce humility in us. I believe he's trying to make us homesick. I believe he's deepening our love. He's developing our contentment and he's strengthening our commission. First one, producing humility. Even like those verses underneath global shaking show us, who are we to be proud in and of ourselves? If man plans his ways, but the Lord directs our steps, how humbling is that? If God can shake the nations of the world and move them around and use their silver and their gold as he sees fit, how humbling is that? If God raises up kings and takes them down, how humbling is that? But let's look at a few other examples. Turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. As we're in the midst of a global pandemic, I believe God is awakening our church to grow in humility. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15. God's word says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You're a mist that appears for a short period of time and then vanishes. Vanity, vanity, all of it is vanity. How much do you value your life? Human life has value and dignity and worth because we're created in the image of God, but we are mortal. Without the Spirit of God, we're mortal. With Him, we're immortal. We live eternally. But, but this existence, this fleshly, earthly existence, we have no control. That, 
ought to produce in us a great amount of humility, right, family? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. How many of you can tell me your great, great, great grandparents' names? How many of you can tell me your great, great grandparents' names? I think I did three, right? Great, great, great grandparents? Probably not none of us, maybe a few. Great, great grandparents? Maybe your great grandparents. I know Matthew, that's one of my great grandparents' names. I don't know the other three. You can probably tell me your grandparents' names, but do you, do you see? Your legacy is so small, so futile, such a mist. You'll be forgotten. It goes on, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. This ought to produce in us an incredible amount of humility. And I think God is using this global shaking, this global pandemic to produce in us humility because how many of you have made plans and they've been stripped away? That's what this passage is telling us. Come now, you who say today, tomorrow, we will go and do this and that. We'll spend a year here. We'll make money. Yeah, good luck with your plans. Man makes his plans, the Lord directs his steps. If the Lord wills, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm planning, it's all subject to change because God is in control and I am not. Look at Philippians chapter 2 with me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Paul writes, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. How many times have you read this? How little do you apply it? Do nothing from rivalry conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, listen to it, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. How many of us lack humility so much that we're not willing to wear a mask? What? He humbled himself to the point of obedience to death on a cross. Don't you tell me wearing a mask is persecution. If you think wearing a mask is persecution, you have just offended the persecuted church around the world. Don't think that not being able to go into a bar after 10 o'clock is persecution. If you think that's persecution, you need to wake up and pay attention to what God is doing globally. I love gathering on Sunday mornings with my church family. But if we have to go virtual for a while, it's not necessarily persecution. We're not going to dig into that right now. But keep in mind this, this humility. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. He became obedient to terrible political rulers who crucified him unjustly. 
All right, let's move on to the next one. So I believe God is trying to awaken in us more humility. He's trying to produce in us humility. Next one, he's trying to make us homesick. He's trying to remind us, church family, that our citizenship is in heaven. It's not in earth. That you may live in America, and you may be an American, and you may even be a proud American. You may have even fought for Americans' freedoms, and that's all good, right, and fine. Praise God for it. But this citizenship is so secondary to your citizenship in heaven. Let's look at John 18, 36. John 18, 36, the words of Jesus. I'm going to start at, uh, yeah, 1836. Jesus answered them. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. That I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Why are we so stressed out, burned out, sad, frustrated, lonely? Because we're not home. Stop fighting to make this world your home. We live here. Part of our call as Christians is to bring about the flourishing of society. So we need to work for that. We need to long for it. But when you're sad, sick, tired, broken, frustrated, angry with the way that the world is, rather than just getting mad at the world, let it remind you that this kingdom, this world is not your home. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. I believe God is trying to produce in us a homesickness. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says that our citizenship is in heaven. Mark preached on that a few weeks ago. Hebrews 13, 14 says that we have no lasting city. So city planners work well to create a city that produces flourishing for the people who live in it, knowing that that city will not last forever. Architects design buildings. Builder, builders build buildings that work well for the people who utilize them for the flourishing of society while the people live there. But no, we have no lasting city. This isn't our earthly home. We ought to be homesick. We ought to long for the kingdom of God, for Jesus to return. For as Revelation 21 says, for the day when there will be no more tears or suffering or pain anymore, for behold, I have made all things new. That's the groaning of our hearts. I believe God is trying to produce in us a homesickness because I think far too many Christians in America have become far too comfortable with their standing in America, with their American freedoms, with the kingdom of this world. And Jesus says, he reminds us, Christian, my kingdom is not of this world. So don't be too comfortable in the kingdoms of the world. It's not wrong to enjoy your freedoms or to, to care about your freedoms or to try and protect and keep your freedoms, but don't live for it. My kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, is not America. Third, I believe Jesus is trying to deepen in our church love. Real love. Love in action. Loved, live, love lived out. First John 3.18, this isn't one of the verses up there, but First John 3.18 says, Love in word and deed, not just speech. I think oftentimes the church is really good at talking about love and not as good at living love. 
And, and so I think God, through this global shaping, this global pandemic, is trying to produce in us real love. This is what Jordan preached on last week. If you weren't here last week, go and listen to Jordan's sermon. Real love. I believe God is trying to produce in us real love. I'm not going to turn to these passages, but I'll just tell them, summarize them for you, and you can go and look at them on your own. Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, what, what is the best thing that we could do, Jesus, in following you and living out your kingdom? What is your kingdom ethic? To love God, to love neighbor. The logical question then is, who's neighbor? Throughout the book of Matthew, Jesus tells us who our neighbor is. Matthew chapter 5, he tells us to love our enemy. So, so he says, love God, love others, love neighbor. Who's neighbor? Well, your neighbor is your enemy. The people who don't think like you, who don't vote like you, who don't believe in what you believe, who don't agree with different standards of COVID response, I don't, not all those people are even your enemy. <laughs> Certain people may cause you to feel like they're enemy. They're not your enemy. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual powers and principalities that have controlled certain people in the world. And so we're fighting against the spiritual forces of evil. But even your enemies, Jesus calls Christians to love. And not just your enemies, but we're called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what Jordan preached on last week, John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus says that the world will know you are my followers not by if you love me and if you tell the world about my love for them, but if you actually love the world. Go and listen to Jordan's sermon last week. It was incredible. I believe God is trying to produce in our church a deeper, real love, a love where we love our enemies, a love where we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, even if they think differently than us, even if they look differently than us, even if they vote differently than us. Can you imagine? What, really? Are Republicans supposed to love Democrats? Are Democrats supposed to love Republicans? Are maskers supposed to love no maskers? And vice versa? Yeah. And if you don't, there is actually no proof that you are saved, that you are a follower of Christ. Fourth, I believe God is trying to produce in us, he's trying to develop in us contentment. Oh, how we need contentment right now. As many of our luxuries are stripped away, as many of the things that we, that we have grown so used to and accustomed to and found so much comfort and convenience in are stripped away, are you content? I'm not. Oh, I'm so complaining right now. And that's not of God. Let's look at 1 Timothy 6 to see what is of God. 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy 6, verses 6 and 7. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Can you deal with some, what I think are well-meaning intentions to keep our communities safe, 
taking away some of your liberties, some of your freedom, some of your normal comings and goings, and be content. Church, it's our job to lead this out into the world. Not to complain, not to badmouth, not to bicker, not to be like, oh, I just want to do what I want to do. This isn't fair that I have to put a little cloth over my face. No, it's our job, biblically speaking, to be content. Again, personal confession. I'm not very content with all this. I hate it. I find myself in my soul complaining more often than I want to admit and wanting to do my own thing, spout my own opinion, go my own way. But God's word, I think there's something here. I think he's trying to develop in our congregation contentment. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. Wrestle with that some this week. Are you content? What would it take for you to grow in contentedness? And oh, how this whole pandemic thing would be so much better if you leaned into God and you received his supernatural gift of contentment. I hate reading. I get so bored reading. I only read spiritual books because I'm a pastor and I have to. All I can do right now is read. It's like read or binge Netflix. And I'm sick of binging Netflix because I don't think it's that good for me. And there's no good shows. And Brittany and I are tapped out. We're in a show hole. So I sit in a chair in my house. I play with my kids. When they're in bed, I'm like, I should read I'm not content with that. I don't like to read. It's boring. I have ADHD. I like to be active. I want to go outside. I want to run. I want to go hang out with people. I want to go to parties. I want to do fun stuff, not sit in a chair and read. And God is trying to produce in me contentment. Hey, you have a warm house and a chair to sit in. Stop complaining, my son. And so, church family, lean into this. Where is your heart? Are you learning contentedness? Are you practicing being content? Are you pleading with God to help you be content in whatever station or season of life he puts you in? Lastly, I believe he's developing in us a a, a commission or he's strengthening our commission. Flip to Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them. This is before he ascends back into heaven. He comes to his followers He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our commission is to go and make disciples. As followers of Jesus, our job, our commission from Jesus himself is to go and make disciples. It's not to gather on Sunday mornings, It's not to protect all of the forms of worship that we prefer. Now, gathering is essential to Christianity. Church, ecclesia, it means the called out and assembled ones. Without any type of gathering, you have no church. But the size of the gathering, the mode of the gathering, whether it's on Zoom, whether it's in a building, whether it's in a basement, whether it's in a house, whether it's at a coffee shop, whether it's in a park, It's a covenanted of people. It's a covenanted group of people getting together. Three, 300, doesn't matter. 
And so I just want to remind us, I think in this season, when nothing is sure, when next Sunday we may not gather in person, I'm not telling you we're not doing that. I'm saying it's not guaranteed. Again, seven of the seven healthcare workers in our church are recommending we don't do it. And I, as your pastor, and I, as their pastor, I'm listening to that and thinking, okay, let me, let me think and pray on this. And continue talking. Maybe I miss some of our healthcare workers in our church who would say, I don't think that's a good idea. But, but what I'm trying to say is that in this global shaking, in this global pandemic, I think God is producing in us this reminder that our commission is to go and make disciples. And that's not dependent on us holding to the forms of church that we're used to and that we like and that we prefer. I'm used to this. I like this. I prefer this. But if I can't fulfill the commission to go and make disciples without doing this, I've missed the point. Jesus is saying, go. And again, part of going, part of being the church is gathering as the family of God to encourage one another. We'll get creative with that. We'll figure that out. We'll continue to figure that out. Forms and functions always change. You, you, you do realize that there's Christians around the world who have been underground for years, right? And many of them are growing faster and more radically than the American church that has the freedom to gather on a Sunday morning. Because God's commission is not tied to our, our preferred expression of church. I think God is trying to strengthen our commission. He's trying to wake us up, remind us. Your call is to go and make disciples. It's not to build big steeples, to build great facilities, to have great programs, to try and get people into your church and grow your church so you feel good about yourself. Most people don't want to grow their church so they feel good about themselves. Most people really want to grow their church because they want to reach the lost. But growing your church does make you feel really good. And I think right now, God is, God is pausing that and he's saying, do you really care about reaching the lost and going out as salt and light into a dark world? Because that's what I've called you to do. Church family, what if we stop whining about losing the aspects of church that we're used to and start working with what we have to advance the kingdom of God. Could you imagine if God's people around our nation, around the world, stopped whining about losing what they're used to and start working with what they have to advance God's gospel, to love people? That would be amazing. Which brings me to my last point, if we could go to the last slide there, the personal commission. So there's this global shaking, this global pandemic I believe God is trying to produce in Park Community Church. He's trying to awaken us to humility, to being homesick, to, to really loving others, to being more content, and to getting serious about God's commission. And then that leads into a personal commission. We have this corporate call, right? We are a family. There is no Lone Ranger Christianity. You cannot be a follower of Christ alone in isolation. And so we have to figure out, regardless of restrictions and, and how we can meet and where we can meet and when we can meet, we cannot do Christianity alone. So get creative with building a relationship. But there is this personal commissioning that each one of us needs to figure out for ourselves. I want you, church family, to discover and define your personal commission and then act upon it. Not all of you are called to preach and to lead a church. Not all of you are called to lead music. Not all of you are called to go with crisis response to rebuild homes after a, a catastrophe. Not all of you are called to just work the same steady, faithful job for 40 years. 
We're all called to different spheres of influence, different walks of life. As 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, we've all been given different gifts to be used in the body. And so what I think God is doing as a result of this global shaking and awakening our church, I I think and I hope he's refining each of our personal commissioning. I've been wrestling with this for months trying to figure out what is mine. Actually, I have a personal commissioning or mission statement that God gave me years ago. And then I have a marriage one that God gave me when I got married. And then I have a commissioning for pastoring. I have a personal one, a marriage one, a pastoral one that God gave me when I started pastoring. Five things that God has called me to and has commissioned me to do that I haven't changed in all the years that I've been a pastor. But in this last year, I started praying and thinking through, God, is there something new for this season that you want me to go and do, that you want to commission me out with? And and he gave it to me. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I've got three things that God is asking me in this season of life to be diligent about, to be committed to, that he's commissioning me to go out into the world to do. Well, not neglecting all the old ones that he's given me, but he's saying, right now in this season, this is a unique commission that I have for you, Andrew, my son, my servant, go and do it. And so what I want to invite you into, church family, is discovering and defining your own and then acting upon it. Because what if God disassembles church as we know it? This isn't meant to be a doom and gloom, like church is never going to exist in the way that we've known it. I think it will. I think eventually we're going to be able to gather without masks, open the windows, sing. Maybe we'll have 300 people in this building again. Maybe we'll blow some walls out. I have no idea. I can't predict the future. I do think we're eventually going to trend back towards some more of the normal rhythms that we're used to, but I don't know. I can't guarantee that. What if we pretended like it didn't? What is your call? How is God commissioning you here and now to fulfill the great commission, to go and make disciples of all the nations in your sphere of influence? What I want to leave you with this morning, church, is an invitation for you to wrestle with your own personal commissioning. How is God asking you to be responsible in your sphere of influence with your roommates, with your spouse, with your kids, with your neighborhood, with your coworkers, with with your group of friends and people from church to make disciples? I highly encourage us and I ask us as a church family to spend time over the next weeks thinking about your personal commissioning. Discover it and define it for yourself. Write it down somewhere. I've got my three written down and I look at them daily. Oh, that's right, God. That's what you're asking me to do in this season. And oh, how God would use us regardless of what happens in the world. It's a, we're headed towards a long, dark winter. We just are. And I don't think that's the governor's fault. I don't think that's the president's fault or the president-elect's fault. I don't think it's the Democrats' fault. I don't think it's the Republicans' fault. I think it's the reality of what God is doing in the world. And I think he's doing it to try and shake us up, to refine us, and then to, to disperse us into the world as sinners who have been saved by grace and now we're called saints and and he sends us out as salt and light into the world that has no hope 
that is filled with fear because they don't stand on a firm rock. Because they think that this world is their home. And we know better. So let's go. Let's go into the world as God's chosen people proclaiming his good news, living out his good news with humility, with homesickness, with real love, in contentment, and then commissioned into the world, proclaiming his gospel, living out his gospel for his glory, for the good of those who you interact with daily and for the advancement of his gospel. As we close down this morning, I'm going to invite you to sit and reflect for a few minutes on your own personal commissioning. The worship team is going to come back up and lead us out in a song. And I invite you to just sit and reflect on what God is doing in your own heart and soul and in your own life. And if there's some things that you need to repent of, some attitudes, spend some time repenting of those things. There's some things that you need to ask God to show you or to refine in you or to change in you or to clarify for you. Spend some time asking him to do that. And then when you feel led and ready, take communion. There's a communion packet in front of you. Be reminded that Jesus is for you. That in spite of your lack of humility, that in spite of you maybe becoming a citizen of earth more than heaven, in spite of your lack of love, in spite of your lack of contentment, and in spite of you neglecting the commission that he's given you, Jesus is for you. He died for you to redeem you from all of your failures and he overcame sin and death in the grave and gave you his spirit so that more and more you could grow in Christ-likeness. Let me pray. Spend some time reflecting. Take communion when you feel led and ready and allow God's, God's Holy Spirit to work in and through you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are at the right hand of God the Father interceding on our behalf in the midst of a global pandemic, in the midst of a global shaking. Your kingdom, your throne is sure, it's steady. Your kingdom, your house is built upon the rock. You came with all humility. You came knowing that your primary allegiance was to God, the Heavenly Father, and his kingdom. You came loving your enemies and your brothers and sisters with the real love. You came with all contentment in the midst of terrible circumstances. And you lived out the commission, and you breathed the Holy Spirit upon us to go and do the same. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are and what you do in our place on our behalf. Speak to us, reveal yourself to us, mobilize us, help us to build our lives upon you. In your name we pray, amen.